0: i going to be getting to some scriptures in 2nd and 1st Chronicles, and so if you want to find that place in your Bibles, you can, 2nd Chronicles and 1st Chronicles. I'm going to come to that eventually, I'm not coming to that right now, um, and they're not necessarily my text. I'm going to do something a little bit different for me, and um, I'm going to put some three scriptures up this morning that on the screen, and I just kind of want us to look at it together. Um, and go through some of these things together. But let me talk to you about this for just a moment. The Bible says faith ends in sight. And the Bible also tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that we don't see. The Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. And the Bible tells us that through faith we overcome, through faith we prevail. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. God responds to our faith. Actually, God has given us faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so I say that to you, and and if you miss the service this morning at 9 o'clock, I'd encourage you to listen to it during the week, because it's a very relevant, important message about faith and what it is. And I believe there's a lot of presumption in the body of Christ that we call faith, but it's really not faith. And I believe that there's a lot of people who feel that they have to somehow twist the arm of God in order to get God to fulfill the things that he's promised to fulfill as though God is reluctant, but he's not reluctant. The Lord loves to heal, the Lord loves to deliver, the Lord loves to save, the Lord loves to rescue, the Lord loves to to bring mercy and not judgment. These are the things that are in the heart of God, and what God is desiring is that there is an agreement with his people on earth that believes him for this, that that, that is walking with him in this. And so to be a people of faith, it is not simply the acknowledgement that God is able to do something. It is not simply the ability to quote a passage in the Bible and say that is true, but the ability to live by faith is a life that is lived for the purpose of receiving what it is believing for. What type of horrible manipulation would it be if God told you to believe for things you would never have? To believe for something you would never hold? When God begins to share with us a promise or a purpose that is in his heart, it is because God intends to do it. And we as a people of faith begin to act upon that promise, and we never stop acting until we hold that in our hand. The Bible says that faith ends in sight. There's an ending to faith. And that ending is that what you're hoping for has now occurred. And if what you're hoping for has occurred, why would you continue to hope for it? You've got it. And you begin to celebrate that. And the whole time you're hoping for it because you're a believer and you're acting in faith, you're acting in it with thanksgiving and joy because you know that the God who has promised is the God who will do it. And so this is certain, it's the evidence, it's the substance that I'm going to have what I have believed for. And so I say that to you because when we come before God and we pray and we worship and we praise God, there has to be faith in that. There has to be an expectation of what God is going to do. It is not an exercise for the sake of an exercise. It is not just simply believing a text of Scripture. It's not just simply believing that God could do something. He could turn this pulpit to gold. I don't believe He will turn it to gold, but I know that He can. And so I want to praise God with a specific purpose in mind, believing that God will do something. Not coming before God with praise and worship, believing that That he can do something. I want to believe that he will do something. I want to believe when I come before God. in praise and prayer and worship of God. I want to believe for the healing of people. I want to believe for cancers to be removed from people's bodies. I want to believe for demonic powers. That are tormenting people with weariness and confusion in their life. To literally be pulled down by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to believe for the brokenhearted to actually be healed in the service, in the presence of God. You see, when I'm praising God, I'm praising God in faith. I'm praising God with an expectation, not that this can happen. I believe it will happen. I believe people will get saved. I believe people will get healed. I believe enemies will be destroyed. I believe victories will come and battles will end. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe it. And I expect it and I anticipate it. And if we're just praising God, just to, okay, let's just praise God. Let's, let's get a little excited. Let's have some enthusiasm. Let's look like a, a living church and not like a dead church. Then what good is that? We, 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 we might as well just do something else, you know? Because that means nothing. But when we come in faith and believe this God to come and His presence to come and His glory to come, and then when He comes, He does what only He can do. And we believe it and expect it and we don't stop until he does it. That is the glory of what we're hoping for. And I say that to you because we need to be one. We need to be together. We have to understand why we go to church. And for so long and for so often, people have gone to church as a spectator thing. We go to watch and maybe a little bit we'll participate. We'll, we'll, we'll join in the singing and maybe we'll say some prayers with everybody that's praying. But but God's mind for the church is so much more than that. It's so greater than that. It's so exciting It is so thrilling to be an active member in the body of Christ and to be able to see the glory of God and the power of Jesus Christ at work through your life in the lives of other people. And this is what I desire for you with all of my heart. So I'm going to bring up three scriptures to you this morning, and these will serve primarily as our text. And if you would, Kimberly, I'd like for you to pull the first one up. This is in Hebrews chapter 3. And I want to read this scripture with you, and I, I want you to look at it with me, if, if, if they can get this up. We'll get, you got it? I want you to see this, and I just want us to read it together. But, therefore, holy brothers, that's you. You are holy in the sense that you're set apart to God. You're holy brothers, and you who share in a heavenly calling. You're called by God. If you're a Christian, then not everybody in here is born again. So this doesn't matter to you. But if you're born again, the Spirit of God lives in you. I'm a brother. I'm holy. I have a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy. Of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Now listen to this. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And it's talking about Jesus building the house because he has more glory than the house. And that house is the church. That's what that house is. And Jesus has more glory than the church but the church has glory because Jesus builds it. And so we have to understand that. Now Moses was a faith was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And I want you to see this, that you're a holy brother. You have a heavenly calling. Jesus Christ is building a house, and he has more glory than the house. But the glory of the house is the fact that he's in it. And he has chosen you to be a part of his house. And therefore, when you gave your life to Jesus, you surrendered to him. You died to him. You became his. He bought you with his blood. And therefore, you have a responsibility or a calling or a privilege now to be in this house and to serve this house. Now, the next scripture that I want you to go to, if you will. And I want you to see Hebrews 12. And um, if if you would go to Hebrews chapter 3, do you have that? Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. That was, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13. She's, She's on the ball. Okay, here we go. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, and I just I just wonder how many of you would be a doer of the word. We all talk about that so much. And because Jesus was outside of the city and he suffered... And he did it publicly. And he did it to sanctify you by his blood. Therefore, you should go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. I'm speaking to believers. I'm not speaking to religious people or churchgoers. I'm speaking to believers. That has to matter to you. There's no way that you can read that and not feel this sense of, man, I do want to give Jesus everything. Now, you should do this as well, because here we don't have any lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Now, what is a sacrifice of praise? It is the fruit of your lips. You acknowledge his name. That's what it is. That's what you're supposed to do. Wow. The father asked his son to go outside the city and bear our reproach and be stripped naked and die on a cross with horrific suffering and pain. And all he asks of us is, I want you to go outside the city, and I want you to identify yourself with his approach, his reproach. And what I want you to do is just open your mouth and praise me continually. And for God's sake, why doesn't the church in America do that? But I'm talking to believers right now that we would understand the significance of God's heart. And so he tells us that, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. it's, it's, It's not a disadvantage to the leader. It's a disadvantage to you. And so when leaders that oversee our souls, such as myself, come to us as the church... And we tell one another, listen, this is what God wants of us. He wants us to go outside the city. He wants us to separate ourselves and be holy brothers. And he wants us to go out and he wants us to give the sacrifice of praise to him. And he wants us to do good to one another. Then that should excite us. And we should not discount that which leaders are asking us to do because it disadvantages you. And I don't want you to be disadvantaged. And the next scripture that I want us to see is in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is verse 5 and 9. And going back to the house that Jesus built, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, we already read in Hebrews chapter 13 that we are to bring our sacrifices of praise through Christ. And so we don't have to wonder too much what is he telling us here that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that is the sacrifice of our lips and our praise to God. And it is not something you do in your heart. You do it from your heart, but you do it through your mouth, and you do it through your hands. And you do it through your feet. And you do it through your body. And you lift your hands. And you shout. And you rejoice. And you praise God. And you acknowledge his name. And you declare loudly and boastfully and proudly wonderful things about Jesus Christ. Unashamedly. And if for some reason you feel embarrassment, remember he hung naked for you outside the city. So bear the reproach, beloved. Bear the reproach. This is what he wants in his house. And if we can't do that in here, Wesley gave this wonderful message this morning about, you know, I've done so much for you. Why don't you praise me in the streets? We'll never praise him in the streets if we don't praise him in the house. If we're afraid of what Christians think about us because we want to praise God, we'll never speak up for him in our schools or our workplaces. We'll be far too embarrassed. And so he tells us you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, that is what you speak, it is what you declare, it comes out of your mouth, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so here in these three scriptures we've looked at, we see the house that Jesus is building And we see that you and I are indeed that house and that we have been given a mandate. We have been given an instruction or a privilege that I would say, and that is so identify yourself with Jesus Christ that the way they treated him, they treat you. And the more that they begin to treat you this way and hate you for the cause of Christ and because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and that reproach begins to come upon you, then begin to lift up your voice and lift up your praise and acknowledge his name and declare his glory and declare his worth. Because we have no one like Jesus and there's no savior like Jesus and there's no healer like Jesus and no deliverer like Jesus. And I want the whole world to know that that's the truth. I received a text message from a dear friend of mine, John Ash. He was a detective in New York, and he served at Times Square with security and everything. He's come a great friend of mine, and he texted me this past week, and he said, pray for the believers in Afghanistan. Many have been martyred, and they have been put to death. Some of us have seen some of that footage and that situation of those beloved men and women going into heaven. It was the most... It was the most amazing sight I think I've seen in, in such a very long time. And then this report, he sent me a text out, and he said, "Listen, pray for him because the news is coming out that at the end of last week that they were going to martyr the groups that they had corralled together that were Christians. And at the end of the week, these Christians were going to be martyred as well. And there was a news, some newspaper, some some report that had." heard this and seen it and was sending the reports out to the world said that you could hear the Christians in their encampment you could hear them singing hymns to God they're about to die and the last thing that they really wanted was to be rescued they wanted to go home And they were singing and they were praising. And this is totally just not logical. What in the world? And yet it is. Their death has brought more into Christ. Because they bore the reproach and they acknowledged him. And it was so beautiful what God was doing in their life. The church is the house of Jesus Christ. We all know that. We say it. We say it. Boastfully, boastfully and adamantly, you know, oh, the church is not a building. I am the church. Well, then be the church. Be the church. Gather together. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. How can you say that you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love the brothers that you see? Give your life. Don't spare an ounce. Give everything to help the body of Christ and the glory of Jesus Christ in the house. Come together and build it up and let your praises soar to God because something is happening and faith knows something's happening. God is enthroning himself on that praise and healings are coming and miracles are coming and salvations are coming. And we serve God in the house and it takes a congregation. It really does. I I do not by any means think that everybody that goes to church is a Christian. I do not think that everybody that's in this room this morning is born again believer and going to heaven when they die. I don't believe that. I'm sure there are some in here that have no real relationship with God and they have no saving faith and they have not been born again of God. And though I pray with all of my heart, you would see the grace and the love of God towards your soul and you would surrender to Jesus. I'm not here right now for anything other than the believer the born-again Christian, to be built up in his faith and to grow in his faith and to seriously own this privilege that Jesus Christ has given to us through his word. And it takes all of us to do it. Nothing can stop the Holy Spirit Nothing can stop the moving of the kingdom of God. Nothing can stop the purposes of God in the earth but a church that is divided and not united. A church that would read the Bible and agree with the Bible and agree to the verses of Scripture but not act upon those verses of Scripture. It's as much of a denial to not do it as if to disclaim it and say, I don't even believe it. I give you an example of some of these things that I think God gives us as a shadow and as a type of how we need to work together and we need to be in unison together for the glory of God and the power of God and his presence. I want you to understand, and I've said this to you before, but in the Old Testament, when the 12 spies went into, into the promised land and they looked it over, they all came back, and, and 10 of the spies stood there as just 10 men in the face of a nation, And the ten men all testified to everything in that land was just as God had said. The promises are there. The houses are there. The vineyards are there. The fruit is there. Everything just like God has said. But there's also giants in that land and there's fortified cities in that land. And our assessment of all of this is we cannot go take it. We cannot do it. Those ten men sowed a spirit of fear into the nation of Israel. And then you have at least three great stalwarts of faith. You have Caleb, you have Joshua, and you have Moses. And you could put Aaron in there as a fourth man. Who tear their garments and fall on their faces and beg Israel, look what God has done for us. Look how God brought down the greatest power on earth, Egypt. Look how God parted the Red Sea. Look what God has done for us. Oh, if God is far, let's go do it right now. But with all of their heart and all of their faith and all of their fear of God, they could not turn the nation back to God. And the spirit of fear settled in upon that congregation. And instead of them being able to go into their promise, they forfeited that. And only their children would be able to go in and possess that promise. And they would live the rest of their life barren in a wilderness where they could have lived in promise and abundance. Church, I believe this is a message for us in the last days. That there is a desire of God to bring His church into such abundance. There has been a stirring within churches and pastors, evangelists and ministries all over the earth that we are not simply on the verge of an incredible move of God, but an incredible move of God is already underway. That revival has already broke out in the earth and there is a sweeping tide of God's spirit and God's power that is moving. There is miraculous demonstrations of the Holy Spirit through His church and nations and countries around the world. North Korea, China, Iran are some. Afghanistan's another one that's reporting miracles of God and conversions to Jesus Christ in the midst of persecution. God is moving and He is underway. And I believe that the cry of Jesus Christ is when my church, when my house will come together and it will come outside the city and it'll be a holy brethren and it will come outside the city and bear my reproach and lift up my name and exalt me and praise me and boast in me. I will come on that praise and I will shake the nations. And I pray America doesn't miss it. I pray America does not miss this. And yet there might be those within particular congregations that just don't agree. I just don't agree with that. I just don't want a part of that. And that's where you come back to the Hebrews 13. Obey those that have authority over you, who preach the word of God to you, who watch over your souls so it will go well for you. Because there's a lot of times, well, I just don't agree. And a lot of times we don't agree with it because we don't want to do it. We just don't want to do it. We're embarrassed. It's just not my way. It's not my tradition. It's not my thing. It's not the way that I was brought up. Who cares about your thing, your tradition, your way? Go into this book and find out how God says to approach him and just let this be your way. Let this be your approach to God and you will find that you come with lifted hands and you come with thanksgiving and you come with praise and you come with shouting and you come with joy and you come with dancing. And then the presence of God comes. And when the presence of God comes, no more fighting, no more petitioning, no more battles. Don't even shout anymore. You may not even dance for a long time because now the presence of God has come and it's just like, you're just floored by him. Much like Wednesday night. And you're just moved in his presence to stillness. And who needs to fight? God's here. And who fears hell? God's here. And what is my dilemma? God's here. And that's the presence of God. And he comes and he inhabits the praise of his people. And if that's what brings God's presence is his people praising him. Why would the people of God not do it? And I'm not talking to lost people. I'm just talking to the church this morning. Why would we not do that? And praise God that we do. Jesus went into his hometown. He was going there to do a lot of miracles. And he goes into his hometown and a few people speak up. Always religious. Always religious. Always religious, and the religious people spoke. up. am Oh, hold, ho, time out. Who is this guy? We know him. Why he grew up here? Mary's his mother. These are his brothers and sisters. And just a few religious men raising their voice made. Listen to me. They made Jesus common. And in making Jesus common, they stirred up unbelief that he's nothing more than us. And the Bible says that Jesus could do no mighty thing there, but he did heal a few. And beloved, the only thing well, I, I wouldn't say the only thing, but one of the essential things in having the liberty of praise is the revelation of God. Because for too many people, God has been made common, and he's not. There's nothing like him. No one like And when a person has had the revelation of this glorious God, you can't help but let it out. You can't. And it is the revelation of God that leads the people of God into praise. You can have knowledge. You can have intellectualism. You can have scripture knowledge. You can have PhDs by your name. That doesn't mean anything. It's the revelation of Jesus. By the Holy Spirit. And you see how beautiful He is, and you see how lovely He is, and you see how wonderful He is. And He compels you. He compels you. The shyest people get married. The shyest people get married. And you know what they do? The shyest people. Now, some people are not shy and they get married. But the shyest people get married, and you know what they do? They spend a fortune. They invite all of their family and all of their friends. And they want all of them to sit there and watch me walk down the aisle. I want you to watch me. I want you to look at me. I want you to pay attention to me. And then after I walk down the aisle, I want all of you to sit there and keep watching me. I want you to listen to me. I have something to say. And why does that shy person do that? Because they have found the love of their life. And shyness is not going to stop me. As a bride may say, walking down that aisle to my husband in front of my friends and my family, even when it is so unnatural, and I want them to sit there, and I want them to watch me, and I want them to listen to me tell him in front of everybody, I love you. And when a person has that revelation of love for Jesus Christ, you'll never question it again. And your shyness will never stand in the way again because you want everyone to know how much you love Him and how beautiful He truly is. I want you to just read a couple of scriptures with me in Chronicles. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 13, And it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. They were to be heard. It wasn't done in the heart. It was from it, but not in it. It was in the mouth. And they're praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice... With the trumpets, cymbals, instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house. I praise with that expectation. I praise with that. I believe that. I believe he will. I don't believe he can. I believe he will. I believe he does. And it wasn't just because the music was playing. It says in this particular scripture that, then, when they were lifting their voices and giving praise to God, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, then the house of the Lord was filled. You know what I'm talking about here? I'm talking about atmosphere, I'm talking about environment. Now, I want you to understand that. Because right now, in this room, are two great kingdoms. Two spiritual kingdoms. There, there are angels literally in this room, walking around, stationed, positioned. There are demonic spirits, evil spirits that also seek to come and gain entrance and influence. And it is so important, if you just take this scripture, for example, and take the ones we read out of Hebrews and 1 Peter, and understand we are the priesthood of God, and we get to minister unto the Lord with our praise, and God inhabits the praise. We have the opportunity and the privilege to set the atmosphere. We really do. We can set a good atmosphere or a bad atmosphere. We can set an atmosphere of love and mercy and kindness and help. Or we can allow an atmosphere of suspicion and fear walking on eggshells around everybody to begin to pervade among us. We create that. The principalities and powers, whether of God or of Satan, simply respond to our cry. When we come with unbelief, we come with an unbelief. We don't do the word of God. We don't practice the word of God. Then we're inviting demonic forces to have their way. But when we come with faith and we come with praise and we come with glory and thanksgiving to God, we're inviting the presence of God to come. We set atmosphere. It is my desire with all of my heart in these coming weeks that we're going to have this encouraged conference. It is my desire that we as a church can set the atmosphere for these services and not our guests or our visitors. I pray that we will come in here with the desire wholeheartedly and with all of our might and with all of our desires and all of our faith that, God, we want your presence. We're not here because of particular speakers. We're here because of you, and we want to be with you, and we want to be in your presence. And it doesn't matter who we've got in this pulpit or who we have singing on this stage. If you're not there, nobody's going to be healed. Nobody's going to be delivered. Nobody's going to be saved. Nobody's going to be helped. And I would desire with all of my heart that every one of you would come with a passion and a desire to fight for that atmosphere. And it only takes a couple to stop it. Just a few unbelievers, a few negative speakers who make God common rather than the glorious one that he is and the worthy one that he is. And so i just continue with this for a moment in Second Chronicles chapter 20. It won't be long. He says in verse 8, this is speaking of the house, the temple, and we know the new house is the church. And he says in Second Chronicles 20, verse 8, And they dwelt therein and have built you a sanctuary there in Jerusalem for your name, saying, And you said this, God, If when evil comes upon us as the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we stand before this house and in your presence, for your name is in this house, and cry unto you in our affliction, then you will hear and help. They didn't say you could hear and you could, you will. I have that faith. I have that faith when I'm able to stand with you as believers and pray and call out to God and cry to God in His house, which is the church, and we gather as the church. I believe He does hear and He does help. We came into this church before Ida, Friday night, night of hope, prayer, and worship. We came back Saturday for prayer, the church. Everyone's invited we come back Saturday night for prayer. We wake up Sunday morning. It's 150 mile an hour winds. Straight far Baton Rouge. And we're in here praying and we're seeking God and we're asking the Lord to do something with this storm to give us safety and protection. We want everybody to be protected. We don't want anybody to suffer. We don't want any churches or cities to suffer. We don't know. And I just remember us praying and while we were praying, I said, God, I just want to post angels at the Gulf of Mexico and have them resist the winds. And this was going on in our prayer meeting on Sunday. And the Lord just said, I'm not going to resist these winds. It's coming. It's going to be a storm and it's coming and I said God would you let an angel bump it just let an angel go shoulder bump it just move it more between the swamps of, of of here in New Orleans or whatever but Lord help us and protect people God and and I just prayed that and I said and I just felt this authority we're all praying together as a group and I said God the day is soon coming when you will pour wrath out without mercy this world is coming under the most severe judgment that it's ever known but this is not that day This is the day of mercy, God, and I'm asking for mercy. And if you must bring that storm for whatever reasons you allow it, protect our families, protect our church, protect our lives. And do you know he did? He did. And I thank God that when we came back to this house, what we just read here, which is a shadowing of the real to come. And when this church came to house, to church, to be the church, and we prayed, he heard us and he helped us. It's true, guys, it's true. And would to God we'd do this more and more and more and we wouldn't have to have a 150-mile-an-hour hurricane coming at us or a COVID-19, we'd just be the church of Jesus Christ. We'd know what God wants, and God would move in this earth with such power. But he does that because the church comes together. And then, if you would just notice in chapter 20, just a little bit more in verse 20 and 21. They rose early in the morning. They're going out to war. They're going to fight these people. Jehoshaphat says, believe the Lord your God. Be established. Believe his prophets. You'll prosper. In verse 21, when they had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. They were saying that. They weren't singing that. It was a group of praisers. Verse 22, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children, against the enemies. When they began to sing, and when they began to praise, and you can sing without praising, but I don't believe you can praise without praising Him and singing to Him and worshiping Him. And I just wanted to give this last, this last little scripture, if I could, that I just think is so remarkable of God. David was consumed with the house of God. It moved him so much. It so stirred him. And this is in 1 Chronicles 29. And he says in 1 Chronicles 29. Verse 3. I have set my affection. To the house of my God. I have set my affection to the house of my God. And when I think about that, and I think about the New Testament and the scriptures that we read together out of Hebrews, Jesus builds this house. And Peter says, we are that building. We are the stones, the living stones that he uses to build this house. And he puts this house together. And everything we read about in the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of that house that's going to come that we call the church today. That Jesus came and he declared that he said to the people in, in Jerusalem, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And you've made it into a place of merchandise. And if you would have gone into the temple in that day, you would have found cages of animals and livestock and birds And other things, and they filled that house up, the temple literally, with livestock and everything so that people could come and they could purchase these animals and then take them to the priest for their sacrifice. There wasn't any room for people. And Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And he slowly made a whip and he put the cords together and he rises up after he made it because he's not with lost temper. He's very calculated in what he does and he overturns the money changers tables and he takes the cages and the animals and he releases them all and he moves them all out of the temple. And when all of the merchandise was moved out of the temple, what does the Bible say came in? The cripple, the blind, the hurting, and he healed them all. He healed them. And and Jesus was saying, this is what my father has always wanted. And I will build him that house that will actually do that for him. And I'll use you and I'll use you and I'll use you and I'll use you and I'll use you. Not because you're worthy, but because I am the glory of the house is me. And I'm going to put you into this house. And you know what I ask you to do? I ask you to praise me. That's your ministry as a priest. Come praise me. Come boast in me. Come lift your voice to me. Because if you do, I'll come. And if I come... I'll take care of everything else. I'll fight for you. I'll deliver you. I'll comfort you. I'll heal you. I'll counsel you. I'll strengthen you. I'll carry you. I'll do all of that. You praise me. And that's our privilege as the house And he's going to do those things through us in the context of gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember our study from the Song of Solomon, it's the story of Jesus and the church and the love. And Jesus would say to the church, one look from you ravishes my heart. And the Bible says that how beautiful are those that worship God in the beauty of holiness. And you know what that means? You know what's beautiful to God? It's those people like David who say that I have set my affection on your house. And for us, that's you. I have set my affection on you. And then when you become that priest and you're really praising God, you move about that house believing that there are gifts of the Spirit in your life. And you minister to one another. And you go to people that are sick and you're praying because the presence of God is here and you're believing for God to heal them. You're believing for God to give wisdom. You're believing for God to give counsel that ravishes the heart of God. That person has stirred up his passions for intimacy with him. Wouldn't you want that? And when we come to church, and we come and we sing, And we come and we praise. And went to God. The whole place was just one big altar. Noah was making some comments. Beautiful message he preached last Sunday. He was making some comments about. There's just something about here. It really is. I I don't understand it. But I, I can tell you this. I shout up here. I know I wouldn't do it if I was at the back wall. But I'm up here. In a choir of people that are all up here for the same reason. And you just kind of forget yourself. And you're you're set your affections upon the house and you begin to praise God. And do you know? And and look, I'm not trying to divide the church and say, You got these people, you got other. I'm not doing that. We're all here to praise. Wherever you are, you can praise God. You can praise him there, you can praise him in the balcony. But you praise God and you enter in. But when we are praising God, do you know what we're doing? We're fighting for you. We're fighting for you. That's what our faith is doing. We're fighting cancer in this altar, we're fighting Parkinson's disease in this altar. We're fighting Louisiana environment for you in this altar. We're fighting oppression. We're fighting hell that has blinded the minds of so many that don't believe. We're fighting unbelief. We're fighting. Fighting for you. Join us. Join us wherever you are. Join us in that fight for the body of Christ. Set your affection upon it. Because if you set your affection upon the church, then you've certainly set it upon Jesus. Because if you've set your affection on Jesus, you've certainly set it upon the church. You cannot separate him, the head, from the body. I want you to stand with me. And I pray and I desire that you understand the intent and the desire that we have and the privilege that we have been given to be priest in this house that is called the church. Wherever you are, you're a priest of God to offer sacrifices to the Lord, which is the fruit of your lips. That's it, the fruit of your lips. So I would like for us just to begin to praise Him now. You know, people might say, well, I don't know what to say. Um, we're given testimony in the Bible. We read it earlier and it says, you know, God is merciful. His mercy endures forever. They just repeated that. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercy endures forever. And when you say that in faith and you say that from your heart, God begins to inhabit that. And then when you're giving praise to God, what is your expectation? God. God's going to come. And when God comes, what's my expectation? People are going to be healed. People are going to be delivered. God's going to answer my cry. It's going to be a joyful thing and a wonderful thing in the presence of the Lord. So I just want to invite you right now just to begin to praise the Lord with me. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up your name. We praise you, God. There is no one like Jesus, no one worthy like Jesus. Oh, God, we just joyfully proclaim that the Lamb of God is worthy. The Lamb who was slain is worthy. We thank you, Jesus. You have overcome the grave. You have overcome death. You've overcome our fears. You've overcome this pandemic. You've overcome our sicknesses. You've overcome our diseases. You are enthroned in heaven, and you are enthroned on our praises. We thank you that you are the God who answers prayer and the God who comes. The God who is with us and the God who cares for us. The God who hears us when we cry and who helps us when we ask. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you.